0: Six ninety nine per pound. Six ninety nine per pound. Per, 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 per pound. Per per pound. Per, 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 per pound. Six ninety-nine per pound.
1: Pound. pound. pound.
0: Ninety-nine per pound. Ninety-nine per pound. Per pound. Hey yo, it's six ninety-nine per pound. Podcast.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Yo. What up, what up, what up, what up?
0: <laughs> What's up? <laughs>
1: Another episode of Six Ninety Nine per pound. It's a weekly podcast featuring interviews with leaders and professionals from a wide range of fields and communities, much like the diverse options found in a New York City hot food deli. You heard? And this is your boy, Key Cho.
0: And this is Joanne Park.
1: Uh-huh. And uh, we over here, man. Korean-Americans representing is the year of the dog 2018 rough whoa whoa whoa, whoa,
0: whoa.
1: <laughs> um but uh yeah so 699 is you know some people some of y'all with dirty minds was like oh is, is it is it like a uh uh some new sort of a position? reference reference to a, a particular uh kama sutra position nah unfortunately no this is a, a reference to a, a very unique new york city culture um the prices in Midtown is no longer six ninety nine, I think. It's like eight ninety nine in certain places. It's getting out of control, man. Even the hot food delis are getting gentrified, man. <laughs> but yo, we keeping it real. We keeping it to the price point that I remember it as. So that kind of gives you a frame of reference of how old I am. But uh yeah, enough about me, man. More about Joanne. What's Joanne up to?
0: So I'm so excited to open this up. I just wanted to know how your week went. Um, um, my week
1: was alright. It was alright, you know. All right? Yeah, it was alright. I mean, um, last week was uh was like market season for for menswear fashion Ooh. type situations. So I'm kind of I I am in that business. I'm a I do buying, <laughs> you know. I don't, mm-hmm. you know so uh so it
0: was a busy week. Yeah, crazy. yeah.
1: So I was running around showrooms and um you know back in the day, like not even back in the day, maybe like half a year ago, a lot of brands would all Con- congregate at these trade shows um so you don't have to like run around to all these different meetings and different showrooms but now these brands they just want to retain the current businesses that they that they have ongoing so they don't want to showcase at a trade show anymore so instead they're just like yo come to my showroom on this block come to my showroom in downtown huh. come to my showroom in chelsea so i now i'm just like running around showroom hopping yeah like for like five meetings i have to spend a whole day and you know these sales reps they love to talk and i love to talk and we're just talking before we go into the (laughs) line and they're just like yo this product is what we're pushing and i'm looking at it like this shit is trash (laughs) but i'm like Damn, I also got to kind of like, yeah, retain the relationship. And these motherfuckers are probably thinking the same thing. Like, yo, man, JK, I could kind of, yeah, I could kind of read your mind. But then again, I'm also doing my job, so I can't like flat out say my product that I'm trying to push is trash. So, yeah, it's a lot of fakery, but a lot of honesty as well. You know what I mean? That's my situation. (laughs) What about you, Joy?
0: Well,. I'm really excited to share this. So back in episode you one, no, okay, <laughs> unfortunately, uh, do not get me started on that, uh, Jackie. Uh. Um, but episode one, I remember being so inspired by this whole like kind of group chat tribe concept, and I I express how I'm really jealous that you, Donnie, and your um, sons of Korea <laughs> situation. It, you guys have a really great group of people who. Um, you can lean on a and be a community of, yes. yeah. So, uh, I'm really glad to say that over the last weekend, I went to a women's retreat in Seattle.
1: That sounds scary to me. <laughs>
0: Don't be scared. So it was 17 women, Asian American women total like grassroots, it wasn't sponsored by anything. It was just like, all of us just kind of came together to discuss what it means to be um, Asian American women in this day and age. And some of us were from tech, some of us were from media, um, all different backgrounds from like 23 to 33 year olds. We just literally sat in the house together and I was expecting real world, but it turned out more like Terrace House. Like it was like so calm and chill and healing. Um, and I wanted to share some of the things that I learned.
1: But what drama did y'all saw, though?
0: See, the assumption that I had was that it was going to be dramatic.
1: No, not no dramatic. I'm talking about which Korean drama were y'all watching.
0: We were not watching Korean drama. Yes, you guys were. No, we weren't. We did masks. Though. We did Korean
1: masks. Okay, all right, fine. But it
0: was Pan-Asian, so it wasn't just Korean-Americans. Yeah, it was like, Chinese, right,
1: But they all watch Korean dramas, too, though.
0: Yes, but we talked about other things, too. Such as? Such as... Um, this is going to get a little deep and maybe you can relate with how a lot of asian american women we live in this kind of survival mentality instead of a thriving mentality so a lot of us shared how some of us have achieved some level of success at our work and but we still don't feel like it's enough like we're constantly dissatisfied we're constantly trying to find something that's like wrong with like what we're doing, right? Of just like, what can I do more? How can I be more this or that? And we talked about how we think it's a lot of our parents' influence. I'm like, you have to survive. Like, it's supposed to be hard. When something is good and when something is great, it, you're supposed to work hard and like break your back in order for you to get it. But. It's okay for you to be happy. You know, we don't have a thriving mindset where we're allowed to celebrate our successes and kind of take a step back to be like, wow, like, I'm really proud of myself. I'm really, I have the luxury of taking care of my health and all that stuff. Like, so many of that thing is in the back burner, and we really bonded over that, how um, self-care and self-wellness is really overlooked in our community, um, so that was one of the biggest realizations that i had of how i think i'm comfortable in chaos do you agree sometimes yeah
1: i do mm-hmm. I, I do like a little bit of pressure a little bit of stress
0: and it's like self-inflicted sometimes yeah, right yeah, when yeah, it's for not sure.
1: when it's like imposed. when it when it's like too calm i just feel like oh some, something's not good something exactly. is wrong yeah
0: yeah and we realize that that's kind of our way of Operating because we're not used to things being okay. So yeah,
1: but then again, like we also don't have the luxury. I feel like because mm-hmm. like I don't have like a congressman homie or like a <laughs> like like a bar mitzvah that I have like you know twenty thousand dollars saved away in my savings account when I'm twenty. Mm-hmm. I mean when I'm sixteen or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know I never mm-hmm. had like like you probably didn't have a sweet sixteen. You know where like things like that where like y- if you are an American, as in like second, third, fourth, or your great, great, great grandparents lived in this country, like we're still immigrants. Like we're still like foreigners in this country. So I feel like that sense of like urgency is not gonna shake away until at least not in my generation, I think.
0: Yeah. I think
1: I'm probably going to hold on to that until the day I die. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I think we discussed that, too, of, like, how can you possibly, like, recondition that, you mm. know? But um, but now that I do have this, like, group of sisters, I truly believe, we can really keep ourselves so accountable. Like a
1: grown female frat?
0: No, <laughs> it's a sorority. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, I got but confused. but it, it was great in that a lot of us have felt, like, very alone growing we were always like the only one you know Mm. like I'm the only one on this floor at Mm. my company or I'm the only one who feels this way we were able to talk about this together and yeah i think that survival mindset is not going to be easy to shake off but to keep ourselves accountable to be like hey like are you sleeping like um you know are you taking care of yourself and like keeping ourselves accountable and like our other pillars like whereas it's like mental health self care even like financial Like literacy and stuff like that. Mm. Um, It's really great and I finally found a community so I I wanted to encourage everybody to, if if you guys find something like this, like retreat or any opportunity for you to meet people that have lived through your experience, please take it. It's like so scary Mm. at first but I'm so glad I did it. I went in knowing nobody Mm. and I came away with like 17 sisters and I'm like totally serious so I wanted to share that with you especially because I was so jealous like when you and donnie and stop making that face
1: she's she says sister's like Yo, oh my god down what? with the squad oh
0: my god i cannot okay, okay.
1: well you've ruined the moment no 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 i'm just joshing you okay nah, i feel you i feel you though yeah that, it's definitely good to have a sense of a community mm-hmm. um whether it's like inside your pocket via phone or whether physically you meet a group of friends and You continuously bond with them, Um, especially as, like, young adults. And they say, like, the older you get, the more lonely you get Mm -hmm. because, like, people have different priorities. And um, your childhood friends might not necessarily be in the same mold or interest or career span as you are. So it's good to meet people uh, that you could relate with as an adult. Like, oftentimes, we we forget how— how much of a benefit an institution or an environment like a school is, we often forget that. Even from like a like when you go out into the real world, you're not you're not gonna you're never gonna be in a situation again where you're constantly meeting people around your age, mm-hmm. whether it's the same sex or the opposite sex, mm-hmm. constantly on a day, day to day basis. Totally. You know what I mean? So, shout out to all you guys out there, man, killing it, hollering at the girls in your history class. Make <laughs> oh sure you do God. more of that. Because in the real world, man. And the yo, girls
0: keep ignoring them. Yeah. So make mm-hmm. sure you
1: enjoy your school life, man.
0: Yeah, okay. I <laughs> <Hey. laughs> well, just wanted to share that with you. And if you have anything like that, please share uh, in the future. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right.
1: Cool. All right, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, yo. All right. Allow me to uh, introduce. Arguably, the go-to actor for all indie AZN films in America. AZN! <laughs> you know, you might have seen him wilding out on his YouTube channel. Maybe Disney Channel. Maybe <laughs> Nickelodeon. You know, he starred in pretty much every major Asian film that I was told to watch the past five years. Like Soul Searching, Revenge of the Green Dragons, and uh, Mad Shorty's known him off Twilight, you know. <laughs> And uh, he also directed and produced his own film, Gook, which was widely distributed in mad theaters across the U.S., you know. Um, so please welcome Justin Chun to the Six, <laughs> $6. Ninety Nine Pound podcast. Year. Year.
2: Year. Year. the original, baby. Year. Year. <laughs> uh,
1: got, you. got you. All right, let's do Great. this. Let's do so this. So
0: cute. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast, Justin. Yeah, so thanks for having excited us. Excited to have you here. Um, so, we usually start off the podcast with like early life to Genesis. Cool. Um, and I wanted to go back to Justin's childhood in Garden Grove, Orange County, California. When you look at IMDB, it sounds like you were pretty much like the perfect Asian family. Like, your mom was a pianist, your dad was a child actor, you grew up in Irvine. But it was kind of crazy when I read more about you that wasn't really the case.
2: Not at all. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, how
0: was it not the case?
2: I could, I think that's what's funny is when you write stuff down on paper and you present it a certain way, it can sound awesome. But, no, I mean, you know... Um, my dad was a child actor, but he was an actor because he was his family was so poor, and he had to make his own money from when he was 10, you know? Um, <clears throat> my mom came from a, a pretty well-off family. But yeah, they immigrated to the United States in the late 70s. I was born in 81, and um, I was born in Garden Grove, um, and that was... That was, like, the—that used to be, like, the Korea town of Orange County. Mm-hmm. And now it's, like, Fullerton, but um, Garden Grove Boulevard was where, you know, <clears throat> they had, like, a Kajuma market and all that kind of stuff around there. I took Taekwondo there. But, yeah, we lived in—I was born in Irvine. We lived in an apartment complex there. My dad worked the swap meet um, on the East Coast. I think they call it the flea market. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, my dad—he uh, earned every penny. I mean, he told me this one story where he was driving a van from San Diego to Orange County, and you know, because of all the inventory in the the, the truck, on uh, the van, it was weighed down. So they th- they thought he was transporting illegal immigrants. So on the freeway, <laughs> they stopped oh him. Gosh. They made him get out, get on the ground. They checked the back, and they realized it was just shoes. But um, yeah, you know, uh, and I saw him, you know, grow and. But uh, he just was never around, though, because he's constantly working. Right. And it was just basically my mom raising me and my sister. Um, so yeah, there was like, I think it's a pretty common Korean American story, you know, you build sort of some sort of a resentment towards fatherly figures, especially for Korean males. <clears throat> my my upbringing was no different. Right. Um, luckily, you know, as an adult. Um, I've been able to kind of look at him as a man rather than as a dad, and just really mm-hmm. see the choices he made and why they he he made them. Um, you know, my parents they uh, split up. You know, when I was in high school, and like all that kind of stuff was you know as a as an angsty teenager, confusing and hurtful, and but uh, at the same time, uh, I'm happy because it just it, it made me really evaluate my my immediate surroundings a lot closer you know than mm. than other people do <clears throat> at least like my say some of my white counterparts mm. it's just a different like interpretation of like what we go through right you know? right right so no, um, for sure yeah because you know it was weird because we lived in the apartment complex and we went down to san diego and then we moved back and when we moved back we moved into like a middle-class neighborhood and it was mostly, uh, in Irvine at that time, that neighborhood was mostly Jewish kids in the 80s. And um, it was really weird because their parents all did, like, you know, professional stuff. Like white-collar jobs. Yeah, and sure. then, yeah. you know, they'd say, what do you, what does your dad do? And it'd be like, I'd be embarrassed right. to be like, oh, yeah, my dad works at the swap meet. Right, you right. know? And they're like, what's that? Well, you know, the fairgrounds, like, he goes there and he sells shoes. And it's like... Uh, but we were there, you know. We yeah. he 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 made something out of nothing. We were I was still going to the same schools as them, right. But it was. <laughs> I remember being like sometimes a little self conscious, right? Yeah. about that. Um,
0: and it's funny that all of us are like, yeah, that's like <clears throat> such my experience, like.
1: <laughs> Yo, why are you choking up, man? You crying already? <laughs> I'm
0: crying. <laughs> uh, well, my mom owned, or my family did, quinceañera dresses. Oh so yeah, pretty much. Cu- very similar but it's like to us it's like we relate to it so much but to the outside world there's no blue collar representation of Asian Americans like so I feel like anyone who's non-Asian would be like oh wait what like this is like a whole world that Uh. I feel unfamiliar with because Uh. it doesn't really get told unless you have like a personal connection and I think
2: that's why you know a film it was important to me for a film like my film Gook that I showed these really blue collar people and they're it, there was no, like, no one's going Ivy League in that family. Right. You know, no one's running, like, some huge company. It was just, like, no, I, those are, like, the people I grew up with. Like, right. that just, they didn't have these crazy aspirations of, um, you know, running a Fortune 500 company. It was just, like, we're just trying to survive. Nah, nah, you're yeah. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Yeah, so. So,
0: typically, I feel like, when parents come over to America, they really push their kids to do the safe thing, Mm -hmm. like be a lawyer, be a doctor, like I'm here working my ass off so you can have a better life. What drew you to acting? Uh Because I know your dad was never like, you can't do this or you can't do that.
1: Um,
2: Well, my- So
1: your your folks were very receptive to what you wanted to do?
2: Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and Mm -hmm. I was not a good kid, so like, Define being not a good kid. Yeah, uh, yeah. I just was not a good kid. I uh, I um, caused a lot of trouble, uh-huh. you know, and, uh, yeah, I did a lot of stupid things. Um, but uh, my dad, like, my dad obviously wasn't involved. He's just like, I make the money, so it was like, take care of the kids to my mom. My mom never told me I couldn't, like, do something, but at the same time, I think when I was in elementary school, she pressured me a lot with art.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: I didn't go to regular summer camp; I went to art summer camp. Oh, um, and she wouldn't let me. She wouldn't let me skip. Like you know, she she I we she just it, art was like because my my mom was a piano major, so like we played piano, violin, and it just overloaded with activities. Um, Which was awesome now, but at the time I just was like, I want to hang out with my friends and like, what's this all about? But now thinking about that, I almost feel like my mom was grooming me to be an artist. You know, she would always be very critical. She'd be like, Mm -hmm. she would turn on a song and be like, what do you like about this? Um, and I'd be like, "What?" I'm like, I'm like a kid, like seven, eight years old. I'm like,
1: "What do you think about the composition?" Yeah, I don't, ca- yeah, and I don't care. Uh, yeah. rendition.
2: Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't care. And then she'd be like, you know, like if I'm playing, you know, something on the violin, she'd be like, "What's your interpretation?" You don't just play the notes. And I think that prepared me to be really much more interpretive and critical with art. Mm. But you know. They never told me like be this or be that. It was just kind of like free form, and that's I do thank them for that because. But you know, I went to USC. I went for business, mm-hmm. you know, um, because I don't I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I <laughs> I took an internship in Silicon Valley uh, after my freshman year of uh, college. I was 19. I was like, dude, I can't work in office for the rest of my life. I just can't do it. So um, yeah, that's when I enrolled in like an acting class just to check it out, and it was like, never did I think that that would become my job. It was just, I want to explore, see what else is out there, and um, yeah, but I fell in love with acting. It was just, you know, I mean, I could tell like a specific story where I was like, okay, I'm doing this, like, Mm -hmm. we, I I was, I'm, my foundation in acting is Meisner, which is very like, naturalistic acting. And what we, What is
1: that called? Meisner? Meisner, yeah. Is that a, is that, is a, that technique. a specific? Yeah, it's okay. a specific
2: technique. You know, there's okay. different, there's straws, but there's different types, schools of thought. You know, okay. they all kind gotcha. of... Yeah, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, this technique is much more inside out, uh-huh. you know. Um, and so you do a lot of, the first year, you do a lot of improvs. It's like, but controlled improvs. Like you have a circumstance and whatever... And I was doing this thing and I was uh, just doing this improv and I was basically talking to uh, an empty bed. And I was, you know, the the circumstance was my grandmother's about to die. And I have, you know, they always give you like certain criteria. It makes you much more the stakes higher, right? So I had, um, you know, she can die any minute. So I think she's going to die next two minutes that gives a lot more uh, stakes to have to say what you need to say and I was like okay how would I tell her goodbye in two minutes and I remember starting it and my back was turned to uh, the class and I just started uncontrollably crying and Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling so embarrassed right I feel so you know I was like 20 so embarrassed and you know like Korean culture you're not
0: you're not supposed to. No.
2: My dad told me, like, you only cry when you're born <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when each of your parents die, you know? Yeah. When you go to war. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I started crying, uncont- and I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. and But then, like, I kept hearing the teacher scream, like, keep going. Keep telling her. She's going to die. You better tell her, like, because you won't have another chance. And, you know, that makes it even harder. You're, yeah. like, <clears throat> you're trying to get this out. And then I remember I, I I stopped, and then I couldn't turn around because I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed because I was crying. And then when it turned around, like the whole class was like applauding and being like, Yeah, great job, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my God. Wow. It was such a sort of cathartic moment for me in my life because I was like, for the first time, I felt like, okay, I have I belong and I've found some sort of medium where I feel human and allowed to express myself and I felt so free and so I was like after that I was hooked. I was just like, this is uh you know, and I'll be honest, you know, I'm not the best actor I, I the reason I've had a career is because I've worked so much harder than everybody else, like so everybody in that class, like, you know, I don't think any of them are still acting anymore, but I know shots
1: fired <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you know, going in there, like, I was like the most shy one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, dude, I have to work ten times harder nah, and I think that's man. why you know that turtle versus air, hair yeah, it's that like one story? Of those. Nah, yeah. yeah I,
1: mean, I believe in that one thousand percent. It's not about like how good you are when you start. It's really yeah. about how you stick to it, you know? Yeah. No, nah, but that's what's up though.
0: When you I feel like you're so fearless, like for me. I think I'm an Asian American who's very risk adverse, and I'm very trying to pick... No, you're
1: just a human that's <laughs> risk adverse.
0: Or pick the path of least resistance of, like, I did feel a lot of pressure to, like, give back to my family and, like, make mm. money and all those things. And when I would see creative people who are really relentlessly going for it, and to the outside world, like, Justin Chan is, like, very fearless and, you know, he's very confident. Yeah. Um, were you always like that, or did you all of a sudden you kind of woke up and you're like, wait, I'm here. Like, I've climbed my way up.
2: Um, simply, no. I wasn't always like, like this. And the the truth of it, because I think this is really important to talk about, you know, especially for, you know, our young listeners, you know, that are trying to make it in, you know, entertainment, whatever they're trying to do. I think it's important that I'm very honest about these sort of things. And I'm, you know, I have to say I'm still scared. You know, I'm still worried uh, and i still doubt myself and i still think like oh my god um i'm i'm making this new project or whatever and is it going to be good and am i am i a hack am i you know am i fake um
0: imposter syndrome yeah
2: but you know that i i guess the difference is is i've learned to use that as fuel because i just give myself ultimatums like i'm like i'm going to see this through you know and i think that's I think that's what I see in a lot of people who try to do this is they don't see things through, right? So it's okay for it not to – it's actually good. Please, just do it and then fail because you're going to learn more from that than if you – if you go out the first time and you kill it, it's actually a curse. Because you didn't learn anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just kinda you're resting on your natural talent. Like the way you're gonna learn is if you don't do well. And so I've constantly told myself, okay, it's okay to fail. I gotta but I gotta be able to look at myself and say, I did everything humanly possible to make this as best as I could. But if it still fails, then it's okay. I gotta I gotta keep going. But you know, that's not something that I started with, that mentality. It's something that um, that I've cultivated over, over years, you know, I've been acting now, you know, I'm 37 now, 17 years, you know, so that's not, that's not a short amount of time. And, and I made mistakes, but like, that's all good. And I think, I think the lot of kids that I've talked to these days, they're really scared to fail. They're really scared to mess up. And I'm like, no, that's, that's part of it. That's, that's necessary. And if you embrace the necessity of failure, I think, that's when, you know, you will become you will start acquiring the skills necessary to be where you want to end up, you know. And that's the other thing, is like people think that there's some sort of destination. There's no destination with this. You know, especially in in what I'm trying to do with art, like I'm there's no retirement plan. You know, I'm doing this there's till no I pension die. Fund. Yeah. There's no 401k. Yeah, there's no 401k. It's like I'm doing this till I die. And when I think of it that way, it's just a journey. I'm not like, if I get this or if I do that, it's like, no, those are milestones. But like, you know, and there are like, you know, you need to have goals. But at the end of the day, I'm not thinking like, oh, once I'm here, I'm made. Is you're never made because you're only as good as your last project, right? So for me, it's more a journey rather than me being like, okay, once I – accomplish this then I could just relax I never get to relax and I but it's it's it changes the way I view my lifestyle it's just it has to become become a part of my lifestyle rather than um, just like a project to project thing yeah I mean um,
1: since you're on the topic of like people especially younger people I mean I'm still pretty young just to put that out there (laughs) Um, young JK yeah uh, scared to make mistakes I think A lot of it has to do with the fact that um, everything is under this microscope now. Um, Like, if you say one shit on Twitter, like, people could, like, say, like, yo, you're crazy, you're stupid, you're racist. Like, yeah, like, but the kid is 14. Yeah. Yeah, like, he might say something that is, like, culturally offensive, and he might not know. Yeah. Like, you know, like, the dude is, like, 17. Maybe he says something might have offended like a woman or something but like if you yeah you could tell them that you're wrong but i feel like now um kids are so under this pressure mm. that they can't really make mistakes there's no room for mistakes like imagine a kid who's gonna run for president in 2030 yeah you know what i mean like that kid's gonna be he's gonna be fucked where hers she's gonna be fucked too like yo, know, like it's like there's gonna be facebook images and instagram yeah. images of them doing wild stuff so yeah um but i say that to say this uh For you, who's somebody who wasn't necessarily under a microscope, um, and you know, we spoke about it in the past, like when you first started acting, you had um, some, I wouldn't say they were like necessarily blockbuster successes, but Mm -hmm. you had a fair amount of um, successes that Mm -hmm. kind of um, allowed you to live a certain type of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you talk to us about like what were some of your initial successes as an actor? Hmm. And um, what were some of the mistakes that you might have made professionally or personally during that time? Yeah. Like, tell us about that time when you um, went to the dealership with a bag full of cash and just be like, I'm going to cop this Porsche right now, charge (laughs) it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was so exciting in the beginning because it was just, I didn't know anything. I didn't know any better. Like, so I remember, you know, um, for example, you know people like that want to become an actor and professional actor at some point you have to join the union, which is the screen actors guild
1: mm. yeah talk to us about that
2: that's a it's a union that that uh if you want to be in any it's like a catch twenty two to be any any union project, you have to be in the union, but to get into the union, you have to be a part of a union project mm. so it's like it's a kind of a catch twenty two in the beginning so you know you get Sometimes you get lucky, like you are you, you know, a lot of rappers or whatever, they they end up getting into a project and then they just pay for the the there's like a thing called Taff Hartley, right? And that means that you know, they have to pay like a little bit of a like a fine kind of to hire a non SAG actor. And that's you get into the, the to the union automatically. I mean you're eligible. So when I was trying to get into SAG, I was doing a bunch of extra work and uh, you know, you bother the uh you bother the ads, assistant directors, or the pas. Like, do you, got, do you have any vouchers? Because those vouchers, if you have a certain amount of them, you can get into the union. But they only they only allotted a certain amount for each production. So, how call- ma- like, how many uh, how many are allotted for each production? I'm not sure, but not many. Yeah. So it's like whoever they, you know. But you do enough extra work you know, not you bother the the ADs. ADs enough like the So is that like a typical step for you to get into the union you have to one be way. an
1: extra it's and one you have way. to bother the ADs to get the vouchers uh, it's one way. Okay.
2: Or it's just like someone sees you in a theater doing theater and they go hey you want you, you need to be on my oh. TV show. There's a lot of different ways. I mean right. that's the thing about this industry is so many different routes but um I remember it was <laughs> it was a film with um Jennifer Aniston and Mark Ruffalo. And doesn't
1: sound like it got a lot good rating on Rotten Tomatoes.
2: No, but I, you know, I was such a huge fan of Mark Ruffalo. Oh, okay. Because of uh, you can count on me. I was, you know, also like Kenneth Lonergan is a playwright that you know, like you do his plays and acting. Oh, it was class. Jennifer Aniston. I thought yeah. it was Jennifer Love Hewitt for a second. Sorry. Oh, I loved Jennifer Love Hewitt when I, I grew up. Yeah. But um, but I remember uh, one of the the PAs was like, okay, you're gonna sit here, and I, w- I was like, oh, whoa. Like it's like an airport scene, and I was like, "Dude, they're like right there, and the camera's right there." I got so excited, I was like, "I'm gonna be in this movie," you know? And like, how old were you? I I, I think I was 21. Oh. Uh. And um, I got so excited, and then and then they're like, "All right, you're gonna sit right here," and they place me right behind them. And then right before the take, uh, one of the guys, like one of the guys working, like a PA or something like, goes, "Hey, you're sleeping." And I'm like, okay, so I pretend like I'm sleeping. And another fucker, like, comes out uh, around and fucking throws a newspaper over my head. So, like, <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, what? I just, like, lost my shot. But, you know, then but... it's like, yo, they could have used anybody. <laughs> yeah! So, you know, but, like, but even then, even then, I remember leaving the, the set that day, being, like, calling everyone, being, like, I'm going to be in the movie. Yo, I'm going to be in the movie. I mean that guy with the newspaper over that's me and i went to the theater and i watched it when it came out and how and you could see me a corner like like in the corner of the frame you could see Yo. kind of. you would never be able to see because you can't tell but i you know but those but i was like a moment for you <laughs> oh dude. we need to frame that. yeah but see those are things i don't know like i don't know like kids these days if they get excited they're like no i i need before but to me because it was such a mystified business I got so excited yeah me too yeah, yeah i got I, I so excited like yeah. i say i
1: say me too because like i used to transcribe interviews yeah uh, for writers that would do um <coughs> cover stories for like you know i used to enter into the magazine industry so i would tell people y'all I transcribe that interview yeah, yeah. even though yeah. like my no name credit. is yeah even yeah. though my name is nowhere even on that shit i'll be like y'all transcribe that shit son Nah, but yeah going back to your
2: story but my yeah boy, no yeah. yeah that's and that's I was so excited, and in the beginning, earlier years, it was like all the small wins, mm. I really celebrated them. But it always, every small win, no matter how small it was, propelled me to like go bigger, like go bigger, go bigger, go bigger, so like, you know, in the beginning. But here's the other thing that like I need to talk about is it was, nobody handed me anything. I really was so tenacious, man. I, what managers, you know, in the beginning, like you try to get an agent or manager, and there's the one that will find you the jobs, and I would just camp out. I would just like like I would he- I would think about that story about my dad on the yeah, lawn with the china, and I'd be like, okay, I gotta, I got, I gotta earn this. So like I would lie. I would get into buildings. I would lie and say like, yeah, I have a meeting with this manager, and they'd be like. No, you don't. And I'd be like, yeah, I do. No, no, he's expecting... I would lie all the time. I'd get in there. And finally, they'd be like, no, nah, you know what? Like, you need to leave. And I would always have my headshot and resume. And I'd be like, well, could you make sure he gets this? They'd probably throw it in the trash or whatever. But, like, you know, even for stuff Persistence, that...
1: Persistence, man.
2: Oh, to wow. man. Yeah, but, like, you know, for example, the, the way I got my first television job, and this is... I'll try to make it concise, but... Basically, I found there's, there's, there was this open casting call for this new NBC show, and they were looking for a young, like, teenage Asian American. I looked young, so I was like, right. "Oh my God, this is my shot!" I got, I got, and I got the sides. Now, sides are like the, the the scripts that you're auditioning with, just a few scenes, right? And I go in, and I and then I go in there, and I was so nervous, I couldn't get past the first line. I kept messing up the first line, and like the casting director was like, "You know what? We're on your side." You know, because I think they were looking at me, being like, physically, this kid's perfect, yeah. but he can't act. Oh. You know, so they tried for a little bit, and then I, I left that day like hating myself. I was like, oh my god, you know. Uh, and they the casting directors never found their guy, so then they started. I heard they're doing another round of auditions, um, but I don't think it was open. So I went back, but I didn't have an audition time. I just went, and they're like, and I got in the room. They're like wait, didn't you just come in? I was like, yeah. They're like, you that's not how it works. You can't just like audition again. <laughs> like, that's not <laughs> how it works. And I was like, oh, please, please. And I just said, just give me it, give me one minute. And if I suck, you can cut me off and throw me out. But just give me just just 30 seconds, one minute. They're like, all right. And I wasn't much better, but I got through the audition. Oh. And they're like, okay, um, well, thanks. You know, you're a bit green. Thanks. Um, but then they remembered that. Oh, and the reason I got the first open call was because uh, I had done sort of the same thing at a theater where I sat there for eight hours, they wouldn't see me because I didn't have an audition. Um, they're the ones that told this office that I existed.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yo, there's this crazy persistent yeah, Asian yeah, kid. Yeah, but yeah. He yeah, like, just so doing passionate.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And basically, sure. you know, what ended up happening is there was another th- small, small, small role where it was a group of three guys Uh, the show was called Jack and Bobby or something, and I'm wearing a toga, and I'm, like, asking another person out, a girl out to dance for somebody else, but I was a part of three guys saying this stupid, like, you know, fake Greek talk, like, Hark, Doth Stephanie approach. I still remember the lines, right? But they called me in, and I did another audition, Uh. and they gave me that part because I think they... Just saw how hard I was hustling. Right, yeah. That's right. how I got my first television job, and it was like one line, but like that was a huge win because it it proved to me, if I want it bad enough and I and I just hustle hard enough, I'm gonna keep getting these little wins, and and the next time I go in, I'm not gonna be as nervous. The next time I go in, I'm not gonna be as bad at auditioning. It's like a sports. It's like the more you do, yeah, it's yeah, just Training. Like practice. Yeah. yeah, so it was uh, in the early years. It was a lot of that. And it was a lot of just bravado, just trying to fake the funk. I was faking it, you know? Um, and I was learning as I was going. And, you know, and then I took some jobs that I regretted, you know? Like, I did this series of T-Mobile commercials where, you know, they didn't even ask for it. But I went in being like, okay, if I act like a fob and I put on an accent because it was, was these, supposed to be these fake, like, wannabe gangsters, like, hip-hop dudes. And, like, I, I knew that like they would find that funny
1: was that was that around the time when how high came out you know that movie i think Red so man maybe, and method man and then there was this one like asian dude that was part of the frat probably it's like, bias fuck you like, yeah, that yeah yeah exactly
2: so i did these t-mobile cr- and they're online you know and damn and, does that shit haunt you at night yeah uh, no because here's the thing is like you said being under the microscope I, I, I need that to be out there. Right. It's a reminder. Like, I'll never do that again. And you can't make me. Mm. You know, but I remember sitting at the lunch. But it was a huge win because I was like, I was part of this national campaign this mm. c- for T-Mobile. But I did it to myself. And it was such a lesson because I was sitting at lunch and I was just kind of like, sh- I kind of finally realized, oh my God, what did I do? Because I'm supposed to say like, um, you know, T-Mobile, say you know, like some something like that. Like, 25 cent to connect. And I was like, so it was so sad, right? right, right and right, and right. then
1: you're perpetuating a yeah, stereotype. Yeah, I did, to yeah. My,
2: but here's the thing: is I did to myself. No one told me to do right, that. Right, yeah. Right. So I was sitting at lunch, and I was sitting with some black dude, and and he's like, "Yo, what's 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 with the sad face?" And I was like, "Man, I think I made a mistake. Blah blah blah. I, I'm kind of regretting I did this, right? But I wasn't hating on them. I needed the money at the time, right, you right, know. Right. But I, I I was happy to have the job, but maybe not the way i got it mm. and basically you know he's telling me he's like well now you know
1: yeah yeah and now yeah, you learned yeah
2: and don't ever do it again and i was like yeah okay cool like i get it like i'm not going to do that to him. so if you see but in the beginning it's necessary mm. to feel that i felt ashamed and i felt but then like i needed to feel that to know that like have conviction that this is not cool so you know um if you look at my career i'm very careful like i don't do things that are like racist or you know um i really stay away i try to stay away from stereotypical roles um you know when i did like a movie like 21 and over um like i'm drunk the whole movie or whatever and i remember I, we screened at nyu and when Asian kid was like, and I think he was probably Korean, but he was like, oh, good job, man. Like, he raised his hand afterwards. He's like, yeah, good job, you know, uh, making Koreans look, you know, making uh, Asian people look stupid and belligerent and drunk. And, and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, okay. That's a perspective. I respect that. But listen, I took this role because this kid is failing out of school. He's not a good student. He, his pressures from his dad to be a doctor isn't what he wants to do. He wants to do music and it's driving him to the point of maybe committing suicide. To me I was like yeah it's like in a commercial sense but I was like that's it's, a, that's it's m- way more uh varied and Exactly different. there's more dimension. Yeah. yeah, because I asked him I asked the kid I was like, "Well, would you rather have me be like a nerd?" Yeah. Like actually like I'm showing that this kid parties too like uh would you rather me be like the perfect student and do everything right and this kid actually has like real emotional issues yeah man
0: i think that's because i listened to an interview where you said a lot of the stuff got cut out Mm -hmm. uh, of that character yeah he almost actually did commit suicide and depression within the asian american community is real and that was part of the story but sometimes it doesn't all end up on the shot and i think you jakey kind of jokingly was like you know the the azn face but that's a lot of pressure for one person
2: but for me i don't think of it uh as that i i think like i do the best i can but like i don't think when i make something that i am the go-to guy it's just one perspective um i never say my way is the right way that's why even when you look at my art, it's like, you know, especially even in gook, it's not preachy at all. I'm just laying out the facts. I'm just saying, I'm just showing the honesty of the Korean-American experience, the honesty of the African-American experience. Uh, I'm just laying it out there, but I'm never saying, like, you're right, mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. wrong, you know. So it's just my perspective. So I don't feel that weight because I'm like, that's what I can offer is just how I feel about things. Yeah. Um,
0: so... Um, on your IMDB page it says you're best known for playing Eric Yorkie in Twilight. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? I feel you know
2: what, like people can hit on Twilight all they want, but I um, I enjoyed filming that series and and the thing that nobody knows is You're Eric still getting e- checks from that? Yeah. Yeah. Let him know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, here's the thing is that role was not written to be Asian. Yeah, you know, it's Yorkie like
0: is not a Asian last is name. Not, you know, <laughs>
2: so see, see what he did right there, man. He worked so
1: hard that he was like, "Yo, you gotta make me Asian. <laughs> you gotta make this character Asian now." See, persistence once again. Uh, yeah. But yeah, please, please go ahead. My fault.
2: No, no, no. Um, but yeah, you know, Catherine Hardwick, Like, I loved her films. You know, tw- uh, you know, um. Lord's of Dogtown and 13 and she's an incredible filmmaker and then I I just watched Into the Wild with Kristen Stewart and I just she blew me away and I was like I want to be a part of that yeah she is such a good incredible actress that I was like I would love to work with her but when I heard the the thing from my agent what it was about it's like about a family of vampires I was like oh my god is this, <laughs> this might be cheese ball right? right yeah but you know Catherine when I auditioned, they didn't want me uh, Catherine fought for me. And they were like, there's no... Why did she fight for you? Just, I I don't know, maybe my enthusiasm. And I came in there super insanely. I auditioned like seven times. Wow. It was for like that small of a part. It's not like my part was like... I wasn't a uh, werewolf or a vampire. I was just like one of her friends at school. But uh, I still auditioned seven times. And... um.
0: I it think was she like just getting a
2: job at the CIA or some yeah, shit. Yeah. Oh, it was really stressful, but she, I don't know, maybe she saw something in me, but I I gave it everything I had. Mm. I treated it like it was like my Hamlet or something, you mm. know? Mm. But um But uh yeah, you know, that that whole thing also opened the doors for, you know, for at least more people in the industry to know who I am and mm. and you know, it was my job to and that's why though, if you look, look at my filmography, I've you know, constantly try to do interesting work, though. Like, I don't just try to... And that's why I didn't, you know, I didn't try to do television for a long time because I felt like um, I had a lot to offer in the film, independent film space. So, you know, I've done a lot of random films, like... But it's because I always measure the job on, like, okay, does it will this make me grow or not?
0: Well, you directed and... Uh, wrote Gook, mm-hmm. right? That was, I think, kind of the hallmark thing of mm-hmm. this year and last year. Mm-hmm. I know you started doing that because y- you couldn't wait for someone else to write this part for you or write this movie for you. Yeah. But can you bring us to that moment where you were like, why not do it now? Why don't I do this now? Like, where yeah. w- Were you in your career? Whoop.
2: Well, I had directed a, another film mm-hmm. called Man Up. Um, and but here's the other thing, man, is I don't know why, but people think I just showed up and just directed a movie. <laughs> <laughs> but what people don't know is I've directed, like, over 40 shorts. I've directed, like, you know, it's – I've never Mad done – f- YouTube content, too. YouTube content, but, like, my own shorts that are in a vault that no one will see because it was me working my shit out. And it was never because of money. I did it because I had this desire to just create stuff, Um but, you know, I'm glad I did Man Up because it was a for, for sort of selfish reasons. I w- wanted to just make a film, a stupid comedy. And it was so such a stoner comedy. and it was. But then there was certain things I was trying to say with that was like, again, I was showing two Asian Americans living in Hawaii, yeah. and they're dumb. They're not – they're just regular kids, and they have really like sort of, you know, just regular existences. Like – um, there there isn't some huge dream. They're just dealing with their lives. So I thought that was important, but was um, no,
1: super important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: so so I was just like, okay, I, I made it. And it just did what it did. And um, but with Gook, um, it was out of a necessity because, you know, my family, we got looted during the riots. So I had a very personal connection to that event. Um, the LA riots, and uh, I was, I was conscious, and and um, um, I have very vivid memories of you know the Rodney King beating and all that stuff, you know. Um, so when it was going to be the twenty fifth anniversary, I heard all these documentaries that were going to be made, and. Um, and uh, I heard uh, these other films that were going to be made, and I was just, and here's the thing, is over the, my career, there's been a lot of attempts at making the LA. Wrights film. Um, even Spike Lee was trying to do one, and I auditioned for it. Um, but every time I didn't feel like the, the uh, Korean American, pers- or the just a Korean perspective in, in general, was being accurately portrayed i felt like it was always through someone else's lens and i was like you know what like i have a responsibility here because i i know firsthand what it felt like and what it was like if i don't tell my version the korean version i'm gonna regret it yeah because thousand percent yeah even if it's bad even if my movie's not good like it needs to exist that's all it just needs to exist um because i felt that our experience need a, needs to be a part of the whole conversation, right? Because we got financially hit the hardest out of any community um, in Los Angeles. Um, so it was out of that necessity. And you know, I told my dad, I was like, I'm gonna make this and he didn't get it. He was like, why? Yeah, cause Koreans is like, yo, like why you talk about bad shit? <laughs> yeah.
1: Nah, like seriously, they say like, <clears throat> yo, like, whatever that happens within the family, it doesn't go out of the family. That's one thing that they always emphasize. And also if it's like, yo, if it's negative shit, don't talk about it. Yeah, Like Mm -hmm. just forget it or just hide it under the rug or whatever, but it's just like, nah, that's why y'all so depressed. That's why y'all drink so much. That's why y'all commit suicide, because y'all don't talk about this shit. And I'm
2: sure this movie was, if anything, very therapeutic for you as well. Yeah. And, you know, as you guys know, like, my dad is in the film. Yeah. You know? So I got to... I was able to tell right away, yo, that dude looks like (laughs) Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Or Justin
0: looks like that dude. Yeah.
2: So, you know, it was very personal to me. And I wanted to share that experience with my father in that film. Um... So, yeah, it I was a need.
0: Well, I was going to say, I I read that you asked him for three months. Yeah. And you said, I can't fly out a Korean dude from Korea, Dad. Like, I really need you to be in this. Yeah. What do you think kind of tipped him over to say yes?
2: It's just badgering. Badgering. <laughs> Persistence. Him. Yeah, because he mm. uh, because so many so people like, have I got said. got it from
1: you, Dad. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but it's funny because so many people have said, no, but he secretly, like, enjoyed acting, right? I'm like, no, I don't think you understand. No, he didn't like it. He was really was just doing it for me. Yeah, like especially, was, like, yeah. you were, like, calling him all types of shit. Like. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I
0: was like, did he always want to say this? <laughs> no.
2: Yeah. Wow. You know, and but I'm proud of it because I don't even think he knew, like, what I was trying to do. Mm. He had to see it. And when we went to Sundance, it was so huge for me it was like full circle because it's huge for anybody yeah. you know true. because no, yeah sure. because you know before I'll tell you this my dad was like I'm not bringing a suit I'm not bringing I'm just bringing my hiking gear to Sundance don't even think about calling me to the stage that's and pretty I was like, gangster cool. yeah and then but then you know as soon as like the credits the, the credits start rolling they turn on the lights and they're like uh, welcome to the stage a director my dad ran up the stage before me <laughs> <laughs> I was like what But and then he wanted to give a little speech he gave his little Korean ajashi speech you know oh like God. and um <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm crying no, 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 but um that's dope yo. but you know my I, son I, Justin Yeah, but you know it's funny <laughs> I'll tell you this man at the after party um I was drinking I like to drink you know and like he just he was. I could see him all across the room and people were talking to him and they came up to me and then he's like you know in Korean he's like 그만 and like <laughs> I was like what? this is my night and he's like you need to be professional you need to stop drinking <laughs> you need to be awake and alert for your interviews tomorrow and I'm like damn even he cannot let that go He even mm. in this moment mm. but Did it enjoy. was a different when he said that it was a different feeling because i was like i know it's coming from like that's his way of saying i love you or that's his way of saying like good job but you know he never said he never said a good job like his thing is always about like you need to stay humble right like you you don't get a big head so like no matter how much success i'll ever get like my dad will never be like you're awesome right? right. (laughs) you know that's like never so but it was a big moment for me because i was like okay I did something that my dad, and I'm so lucky because a lot of people in their lifetime don't get to experience that, like where you feel like you've accomplished something where your parents can be proud of. Right. Yeah. You know, and um, that was a huge turning point for me because I was like, okay, now the work that I do, I have a responsibility. It can't just mm. be about satisfying myself. Right, right. It can't just be about my own ego or it really needs to like, okay, I understand like the influence this can have, and I've kind of fulfilled my own sort of, like, uh, desires. Now it's like, okay, how do I position my films mm-hmm. to be voices for people who don't have them right now? Right, right, right. So that's, like, been my re-sort of uh, positioning and focus, you right, know, with right. every, I'm, everything I'm trying to do. In addition to that, though, you also
1: produced this film on your own. Mm-hmm. And as an indie film, made by an Asian American filmmaker with a predominantly Asian American or a cast of people of color, it was able to acquire, you know, a a certain amount of success. That's pretty, you know, like, like, like I tip my hats to you for that. Like it was distributed. It was like shown in, like, AMC. Was it AMC, or was it... uh, It was, uh...
2: Yeah, and then a lot of Regals. uh, Yeah, like, a lot of... Yeah, so I was like, yo, that shit is kind of crazy.
1: You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, um... I heard that, um when Spike Lee wanted to make the film uh, about Malcolm X. Yeah. Like, nobody wanted to sponsor that shit. So he hollered at uh, Oprah, of course. Yeah. And Oprah was like, "Word!" So she called every, like, influential black people in America to fund that shit. So for Gook, like, did you have, like, some sort of a support system from the Asian-American or the Korean-American community, or was it not? And do you think it's necessary for filmmakers like yourself yeah. to
2: further put shit out like we need that support system yeah um so I'm just gonna be like a hundred about this right no damn
1: some motherfuckers <laughs> no,
2: no, you know but here's the thing is I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna take it negatively mm. it's a process right mm. and and we're on our way right and I don't have any bitter sort of like resentment towards my community but I will say did you reach out though? Like, were you? And you're saying okay, Asian okay. Americans, okay. right? Yeah, okay, okay. like let them talk. Let yeah, talk. Let Asian them
0: talk. American community. I just yeah, want to yeah, clarify. Yeah yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Um. I absolutely. I reached out. I reached out to people who are so filthy rich that this would be like a penny for them. Uh, you dust. know, like we're talking about like. Tech people, all sorts of people, right? Yeah, it's like it was a like one night at a room salon for me. <laughs> exactly, like it's like it's it's. <laughs> I hit <laughs> but, Jakey but...
0: for everyone who can't say.
2: <laughs> but you know, you know what I mean. Like it's it's, it was disheartening, but I, I couldn't say, because I knew what I was trying to do, and I was knew it was for us. Yeah. But I couldn't let that stop me. I had to, you know. And I have to say, man, if people really knew how I got this film made how hard it was and where I actually got the money from and all that stuff like we did as, as gangster as possible right like this wasn't like and we got increments of like three th- like from friends and fam. like and you know what's you know and I, you know like I have to point this kind of shit out but you know the people who had the less less money were much more generous yeah right. people like worth $3,000 was a lot yeah. to right. them actually those were the people who donated or, right. you know, and it was really disheartening because for me I look at our community and there's a lot of talk it's not a lot of and it's about their own vain sort of if they can't put their name on it or they can't make it about themselves they're like, well no, that's a waste of money for me and a lot of people talk about the community and blah blah blah, and you know Hollywood so white or like you know whitewashing. You remember that whole thing with whitewashing? Yeah. Shut the fuck up because you know why? All you guys do is talk, and I want to see you guys. Where's your action, right? And we have like congressmen that are that are are fighting for us, you know, like Ted Lieu, and there's there's people who are doing the work. Right. But like, I'm talking about like. People, you know, you go and you make a lot of money. You've, you've made enough money for yourself. You have a responsibility at that point. But, you know, they might not think they... But that's on them. Right. That's their decision. I can't say you you have to do this or that. But I would tell them to maybe reconsider their position of power, what is possible for other people with their resources, right? right? right. But, um, you know, making gook was hard. And, you know... A lot of the same people that ask asked money for. And he, here's the other thing. Is they had not only. They had even offered before. They're like, hey, let me know when you're going to make your next movie. I want to put money in. I want to help you out. I went back to those same people and they scattered like cockroaches. Right. You know, so like it was really eye opening for me to really see what people's true intentions are. What they're really about. Um, is there something to gain for them personally? But. You know, I'll tell you this: when Gook had some sort of like uh, buzz, it was buzz so, or totally critical, successful. Guess who? All those people came out back out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Like I don't, I don't hate on them for that because we we don't have enough creators. We don't have enough people in this industry to be crabs in a bucket. We can't right. be pulling. We have to like. I'm not gonna hate on them for that because right. we I, we need each other. Right. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I'm gonna keep making stuff. And I don't, I don't forget what happened the last time. If I come back to you again, and the cause is right, and you think it's worthwhile, maybe you should reconsider. Right, Mm -hmm. right. right. You know, yeah. Even when it went to the theaters, you know, we, we had an opportunity, and I think it did enough to make some noise, but it should have been bigger. Right. You know, and and not because of me. It's what the statement is to the industry, you right. know? And that's why now we got Black Panther and it's projected to make $400 million this weekend, right, right. right? Because they show up, because they know it's important that they're represented. Right. You know, and the other sort of thing is like, I, you know, I don't want to keep talking shit, but like, you know, sometimes Asian people think they're white. Uh, you know, or they think they're they're not Asian. They, they think that the, these Asian American issues... Uh, aren't their problems mm. because it's not affecting them directly at that moment. Mm. Um, so, you know, I mean, it is your problem. Mm. It is how we're being perceived. Media is a first place that everyone looks to in masses mm. for, you know, whether it be music or television or film. That's where they look to to get, like, you know, influence about how the world works.
1: Yeah, no, nah, yeah. I, I I was telling um my mom and my folks, like, they were like, yo, why are you so into this hip-hop shit? Like, why you want to keep making this film shit? And I was like, yo, the reason why Obama got elected is because the generation that voted for Obama, yeah. they grew up on hip-hop, and they grew up watching Michael Jordan, they grew yeah. up watching Oprah, they grew up watching, like, Martin and shit. Yeah. So they're, like, comfortable seeing a black face being a leader for them. Yeah. And that's, that's how, like, important media is. So in order for us to have any more political prowess, because I feel like economically like you said there's like fortune 500 silicon valley motherfuckers that's loaded but you never see their faces yeah and you know you got to see more of their faces and you got to see more of us for like a non-asian person to feel comfortable having people like us to represent for them so it's all like an ecosystem right yeah absolutely politics media and finance is all connected yeah but a lot of um first generation or well, even second generation Asian Americans they don't see the
2: connection yeah you know what I mean yeah no I agree and um, you know we're gonna have a few more opportunities like next year we'll have Crazy Rich Asians or something Like right. I don't give a shit if you if that's your type of movie or not that's not that's not the point right the point is is are you gonna show the industry are you gonna show the world that this kind of Content by Asian Americans is viable. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to be the Asian Tyler Perry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We need Christmas special every year. You heard it here first. Yeah, but you
0: know. So, for maybe some of our listeners who are younger, um, who want to support this movement, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say they don't have money, but they have a lot of time. Yeah. Do you have anything that you can share to be like, this is how you can help?
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Is just being aware yeah. of, like, what, what's out there and, and sharing it, you know? So, like, for Gook, it would have been nice if everybody just paid a little bit of money to watch the film. You don't have to invest in the film, you know? But watching it... And then here's the other thing. Though, like, say you're so broke, you can't even go watch the movie. It's all good. Wait till it, you know, wait till it gets on digital and, like, you can watch it. And then, but then, you know, at that point, spread it there. You know, talk, talk to people about, but then also be critical of it. Like, you don't have to accept everything that's fed to you, you know, like, look at and be like, I like this, but I don't like this about it. That's all good. You know, we need that conversation, but we don't even have enough stuff to talk about yet. So, but be critical of it and think like, okay, you know, um, you know, I love to study successful people, right? And, you know... I recently heard Jack Ma talking, right, Mm -hmm. Alibaba, and he's like, he's like always like talking about like, you know, different stages of your life when you're in your 20s, when you're 30s, when you're 40s, but he's saying like, always look 10 years ahead, right? So like for someone who doesn't have money, yeah, but they're not going to not have money forever. For sure. You know, when you start and, and plan for 10 years ahead. So like, I think for younger listeners out there, yeah, that's now, but you will be 10 years older. And where, where in, within that time, where what do you want to be doing? Where, where do you want to be? Um, and think like that instead of just day-to-day. I think that's a huge piece of advice that I'd like to offer. Yeah. You know, because it's baby steps, you know. And people always think, especially in entertainment, it's your big break. There's no fucking big break. It's an accumulation of your work. Yeah. You know. Yeah, nah, like what you just said, you've been putting in those work.
1: Yeah. Like, it was like every brick that you um, stacked on top of each other for you to build a house. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm dead ass starving right now. I don't know what to eat.
0: Just boil up some noodles.
1: Nah, nah, like, yo, my face is going to be bloated like a basketball if I consume all that ramen preservatives, you know? And I don't really bang with artificial flavorings either.
0: Well, why don't you try Noms? It's wholesome Asian soups for busy individuals.
1: That really sounds like a statement that was really written by the company. And (laughs) and, um, if it's a brand that don't really know much about my culture, man, I'm not really trying to buy into it, man. How can I trust it?
0: No, no, NAMS is started by Kat, a chef, recipe designer, and Tony, who are both Taiwanese-Americans that set out to provide us consumers with tasty, transparent, and accessible Asian recipes. Their mission is to be America's most trusted modern Asian food.
1: Oh, say a word.
0: Let me draw some extra gems on you. They make <laughs> delicious Asian noodle soups without using yeah. MSG or preservatives. Then the broth is placed in a BPA-free container, custom-engineered for chilling. The frozen soup gets delivered to you, mm. and all you have to do is boil or heat it in the pot for about 8 minutes, and voila, you uh-huh. have a bowl of bliss for you to consume.
1: Uh, okay, okay. Yo, this sounds pretty exceptional. Mm-hmm. You know, my kitchen always has mad situations going on. This I sounds bet. like something that I don't really need to dice or grill. Plus, like, I'm not a big fan of dishwashing either, you know?
0: Yep, and you get on the program now, you can get a 10% discount.
1: It seems like you always know a discount code, yo.
0: Punch in NOM699, N-O-M-Z 699 before you put in an order for that 10% discount.
1: I bet Say les. about to try this out and put on some other lost ones onto this.
0: Okay, just saying, eat real food. Um, we talked a little about a little bit about how our community is so fragmented and there's it's really our community as an Asian American community. Yeah. I think when Black Panther's coming out and Moonlight won the Oscars, there was so much solidarity behind those wins yeah. for the African American community that we are not really seeing right now. Um, and there's still so much for us to work on, but I do know there are some great stories where yes, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of stories of people who May not have stepped up to the plate, but there are people who did that surprised you.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I have to admit, I'm part of the problem too. You know, when Alan Yang, we were talking Alan Yang or Dev Patel, or you know, uh, they were nominated for very prestigious awards. I didn't tweet it either. But you know, for example, like I'm a huge fan of this actress named Hong Chao. She was on Treme, you know, and oh, shit. and she's What's now she's that? In, yeah, you know, she but yeah, yeah. she, she was in downsizing. She got nominated for a Golden Globe. Right. And she didn't just come out of nowhere. She's been around for a long time. And, you know, um, but there was not much news about her. You know, it was just like she just it just was so quiet. And I've been just as guilty of not, you know, being vocal. and I'm starting to learn what I need to do, and what my responsibilities are as well. But, you know, as you were saying about who surprised me, like, it's really funny because, yeah, through Gook, I started to see who was really down, who was really actually about it, and some of them were very surprising, you know, and, um, for example, when we did our Kickstarter, I think, like, Within the first five donors, like, we're just sitting there. We're like, is this going to work? <laughs> is this going to kick? Because we need this money. If we don't yeah. get this money, we're so screwed. We can't even. We, I think, like, if we get into Sundance, we can't even go because we can't finish a movie. <laughs> no. Like, you know, so, like, uh, within the first, I don't know, five minutes, right, right? Right there. Dumbfounded, right? Jonathan. And I was just like, oh, shit. Damn. And it was just like that, right? I, it was so, and I, it for a second, like, I almost cried. Because I was like, <gasps> oh. oh, shit. Like it was bec- probably low-key thinking, like, yo, can I get a part? <laughs> <laughs> well, the movie had already been made. It was for post-production. But, like, but, you know, you know, like, I've seen Dumb around everywhere or whatever. But I never really ha- have had, like, a human conversation with him. And, you know, even until now, like, I haven't seen him since. I haven't seen him yet. Since, like, even... And I'd like to tell him. Like, I'd like to tell him, like, how much that meant to me. Because it was... He didn't have to. And and I know, like, it's not like... He's balling out of control where, like... It's like that money's like, nothing to him. It's still something to him, you know? And I was just like, damn. And it made me really look at myself. Be like, am I about it? And because am I, like, am I just as fucked up as everybody else? And, like, I... But it really... The fact that he, it wasn't like he was jumping on some bandwagon—it was just like within the first five minutes, I was like, "He just—he just decided to do it," and—and right. and to me, I was like, "Okay, man, okay, I gotta—I gotta—I gotta shape up too." But it, you know, that's—I think that's—that's that's very valuable for me because I'm like, "Okay, this is how it works, man. We all gotta support each other." So now I'm like. Oh shit, I gotta make sure that that just like Dumb did for me, I gotta do that for somebody else. I gotta make sure I'm there for the next person. Um so yeah, I was I learned from him mm. because and what was cool is like he didn't text me or something, he didn't like email me or anything, being like, Hey, I donated. He just did it, you know, and like we still haven't talked about it. You know, and like that's he did something through action rather than jumping on a bandwagon or or just talking about something, and I respect that. Yeah. you know, yeah. That's great. Nah, that's dope, man. Yeah. That's dope. Because here's the other thing is a lot of people who are lawyers or whatever or, like, businessmen that are making insane money, or maybe they're just not aware of what they can do, or maybe they're not aware of how influential they can be or what they can like, how they can, you know, use their power and influence in their field to support a bigger message. You know, maybe they just don't know and that's why these conversations are important because eventually hopefully they get exposed to um, you know exposed to what they can do. Right, right, right.
0: So can you talk about your involvement with Macro? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Which I believe is a production house?
2: Yeah. So Macro, they're gangsters of gangsters in Hollywood, right? <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> not, just because, not just because I'm working with them, but uh, Charles King used to be a part of uh, William Morris, like one of the top... Oh, he was part of... He, he was, was a partner there, okay. and then it merged wow, with Endeavor, so- and I, I don't know the details...
1: Oh, so for the for the people that don't know what William Morris is and what that what that name signifies in Hollywood, can you just kind of like?
2: It's like one of the top five agencies. Yep. It's one of them, but they merged with another top five agency called Endeavor. Yep. When that whole deal went down, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but like, um, I think they did him dirty. I think so. I'm not. I. I
0: he went rogue. Yeah. I know.
2: It's not like it's public information. Look up Charles King and. Yeah. Um, I just know the don't know the details, but all I know. Is he, it was all good just a week ago <laughs> <laughs> best yeah. friends become strangers <laughs> but uh, he separated and he's like you know what I'm just gonna do my own thing he started a production company and he got some really talented people and you walk in their office and, and Charles King is, is black you walk in his office mostly females mostly female driven of every color um, and but it's it's diverse as hell in there and they tell diverse stories. Denzel did his last two movies with them? Oh shit, word. They did, they did, what? did they said. did they did they they did fences. They just did Roman Esquire. Ooh. Um they did Mudbound. That's on, on okay. Netflix. Yes. They're killing the game. You know, they they walk the walk. Mm. So I am super proud to be working with them because because I'm like, yeah, you guys are about it and you guys actually are killing it. So how did you um get affiliated with them? Well, I have a project, um, and it's, you know, I guess what I can say about it is, you know, it's Asian-centric to a certain point, mm. but it's also vi- a very diverse film, and I was pitching it, and they were just the first to step up. Like, I was pitching, I went to a bunch of production companies, and and um, they were just like, Nah, take them off the market. Like.
1: Do, do, you, do you think that the fact that it is a company predominantly driven by people of color had something to do with the fact that they were down to work with you?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and they, they get what I'm trying to do. 1,000%. They, they understand what the bigger sort of picture is. And this story in particular is I'm trying to t- tell a story about um, a group of people are not being heard, right. that, that there's, they don't have the platform to, to talk about their situation. And um, I think that's important that if I... Because here's the thing, after Gook I've had some cool opportunities to direct some much bigger things, right? But I started to think, why, okay, I need to stay on track, and why did I make Gook? And now that I have a sort of platform where people are willing to take a risk on me, I need to stay on that track, and make sure that I'm serving. And this is the thing about I think, you know, leadership or or powers of uh, positions of power, is how do you how do you speak up for people who don't have a voice? And that's what this film is. And Macro saw that, and they get it. They're like, yeah, this is this story needs to be told. And, you know, some of the other production companies were like, yeah, this story needs to be told, just not by us, <laughs> you know? Mm. <laughs> and, in, you know, for me, it's always like, I'm going to go with the people that are most excited, mm. that, are, that are, like, really, I could tell that their heart is in the right place. And, of course, let's not get it twisted. It's still a business. So I still have to have their, you know... Interest. Interest in mind and also not just try to make some crazy art piece. And it still needs to be, like... Entertaining and yeah, commercial. Yeah, viable. so yeah. Um, But macro is they're 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 killing. It. Damn, I mean, yeah. so li- look at like they have a the f- one of the first I think cinemat talk- women cinematographers yeah. that got nominated for an Oscar this year mm. that directed uh, that DP for DP for Mudbound. That's a huge thing. Yeah, they got Mary J. Blige got nominated for an right, Oscar. Right. Um, right. Ro- uh, Denzel got nominated yeah, for an Oscar. Yeah. 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 killing it they're destroying (laughs) it you know and they're 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 not that old they're like relatively a new company you know they, they just got their shit together and like Charles just raised like hundreds of millions of dollars for like their company like they have now resources if they want to finance their own things they're they're the real deal they're not just some little podunk like mom and pops production company that's just trying to pick stuff up from like festivals they're like actually making moves mm. you know so um i'm honored that that they're believing in me and letting me tell the story and you know for sure um so f- you obviously directed
1: and also produced and have acted uh for a number of year, number of years now so from your ex- uh, from the experience that you've accumulated uh, when you are looking for an actor, when you are looking for a filmmaker to work with, uh, what are some a- uh, qualities that you look
2: for? Well, an actor, I mean, you know, the number one thing is do they fit the part? Because they have to service the part. But even then, the biggest thing for me is character. You know, like, because I'm going to be spending a lot of time with these people. You know, and I don't want to be, sp- life's too short for that. I don't want to work with people. I don't care how talented that person is. If I don't want to spend time with them, like, it's not worth it. Life's Mm. too short for that. Yeah, no. So you know, for example, um, the guy that plays Keith in my film, the the Camille's older brother, Mm -hmm. he's from New York. He's he lives in Jamaica Queens, and um, I was looking around like L.A. and I didn't really vibe with anyone that I was looking for, and so I was out here for a second, and I asked some indie film friends, like, do you know any up and coming African American male actors? And then a few people said Curtis, Curtis Cook Jr. So I was like, okay, can you just set up, like, a thing? Like, just don't tell him about the project. Just tell him, like, just tell him I want to hang just as actors, right? So we hung out, and we got lit. We got, we got <laughs> fucked up. We drank. And, but he was, like, the kindest, sweetest guy. Like, I wasn't trying to get – I didn't propose. Like, I wasn't trying to get anything from him. He wasn't trying to get anything from me. And it was very, very uh, innocent sort of hang. So I was like, damn, okay. And then I was like, right away, like I saw his films. I'm like, this dude is talented as fuck. I'm like, all right, let's go. And so I called him and I said, hey man, I got this film and I sent him the script. And I was like, do you vibe with it? Is it something you might want to do? And he called me back after like a few hours. He read it right away. And he's like, dude, I would love to do this. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna be honest with you. You're gonna have to sleep on couches. You're gonna, it's gonna be like rough. I'm not gonna try to sugarcoat this. I'm gonna be very upfront with you. This is the deal. And he was like, I'm down. So, you know, he came and he did his work and I'm, I've been committed to him as well. But like, you know, I'm always thinking like how I can put him in everything I do because I think that's also important is taking people with you, you know? So even like, you know, um, everything I'm doing, I'm gonna, try to, I'm gonna try to take my DP or whatever. And, you know, people put up the money, have the final say, but at least i'm gonna try. Right. You know, but uh character is important and are they just down? Because dude, if you're about fame and money at at my level right now, i don't know if i want to work with you. Yeah. Because when it's hard and we're in the trenches and we're working, i need to know that you got my back and you're here for the right reason. Because if you're not, i just don't respect you, you know? And like you you I, we talked for like the last hour about you know, my work ethic and, you know, where I get that from and stuff, and that stuff is important to me. I don't want just some dude that's just trying to get a meal ticket or isn't it for, like, a very, like, a, you know, short-term gain kind of thing. You know, I'm trying to cultivate relationships. So everybody I work with, I'm like, I always consider, is this somebody that I can continue to grow with rather than us just trying to exploit each other for this project? Life is too short, man. Now for real, like, I've had
1: some um, fallouts with some people, and um, people were like, yo, Jay, like, yo, you you a cruel motherfucker, man. You never talk to them anymore. And I was like, yeah, man, life is too short, man. I, I could spend time. Spending time with people that I actually do like, instead of trying to like be politically correct and trying to be nice to this person, who I think is fucking whack.
0: <laughs> so, so on that note, we're our friendship is over.
1: <laughs> you know I mean?
0: Life is too short. Oh, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, that was
0: the
2: best. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, best. yeah, yeah. Now, oh um, so yeah, let's let's, let's just. But talk I agree about with you. Yeah, I agree with exactly, you. Dude, exactly. Dude, I got a, I got a family now. I got a kid. Like, I don't oh. have I don't have time. Like, I got to spend the time that I do have in meaningful relationships. Exactly. I don't have time to just be fake and bullshit and be surface about anything. Right. Because <clears throat> I'd rather be spending time with my daughter.
0: Yeah. So what has it been like being a dad?
2: It's been amazing. It's changed my perspective on, on everything. And, you know, we keep talking about, like, my development as an artist. And it's like now, like, I need for my art to mean something. And everything is, like, a relayed message to my daughter like mm-hmm. this is important because i'm doing this because because later when she gets older she's gonna ask me she to be like why'd you make that movie why'd you make this movie why'd you make that choice or this choice or whatever mm-hmm. and i want to be able to stand in front of her and be like this is why and be proud of having that made that decision right
0: yeah i'm gonna be honest too so when i i didn't really know you before book yeah. and The director capacity i knew like the man up i knew some of the youtube videos and i saw a video where you were like oh the asian kid from twilight like i'm I'm the asian kid from twilight and you were like kind of like it was really funny and i always knew you as someone who was really funny and like appealed to like my guy friends who like had this donor humor quote-unquote air quotes and it was crazy when i heard you speak about these things, these hard things. And I was like, I did not know Justin Chan had this side to him at all. Like, uh, w- yeah, so deep. Like, you, you're so playful at the same time, I mm-hmm. think. Like, when you, even though you can put this, like, serious face on, like, some of your YouTube videos are... Yeah. I was, like, showing Jakey, and I was like, so we're going to talk about being multidimensional. Here's mm-hmm. a video that Justin mm-hmm. made. Um, do you want to keep doing that as well? Just, like, the really
2: fun... I don't know about I don't know about YouTube because not because I don't want to do it it's just time yeah so I'm trying to allocate my time now it's just so much more tighter with the kid and the family but like I am dumb I'm dumb <laughs> as fuck like I, I my humor is so juvenile and I'm but you saw gook like I trying to sort of force it in there somehow yeah. you know so like <laughs> You know, dude, you have no idea when people read the script and they saw this this scene where I'm saying fuck you to my dad. And yeah. It's like fuck you, fuck you, yeah. fuck you, fuck you. <laughs>
0: and from the store.
2: Well, how was you. writing it? Well, when right. I was writing it, I was laughing my ass off. <laughs> I was like, "Damn, you're a genius." But like but when other people read it, they're like, dude, you can't have this in this film. It's like, it's not, you can't. It's like so juvenile. I was like, but that's me. So I, I got to. I that gotta was definitely it. one of the highlights of it. It was so yeah. funny. Yeah. But like, you know, I and you know, when I throw the bag, you know, the bag off the shoes or whatever. And like, David's like, oh, shit, that's pretty good. Like, you know, when I get the bag yeah. in the trunk. Yeah. Like, those kind of stuff. I just got to work within the, with what I'm trying to do. and, and But that makes my projects me. Mm. But um, not to say that, like, you know, I got, I got, like, a few films that I have to get made, like, that, that are, like, very important to me. Once I get those made and I can take a breather, maybe I might be, like, make something super stupid, you know?
1: Um, so, yeah, these are some um, questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, the first question is, what is the most important relationship in your life? And it doesn't have to be love it could be professional it could be
2: personal it could be everything damn this is so hard because these kind of questions are hard because you're trying to tell me tell, you want me to tell you one relationship you know and it doesn't have to be one but it yeah. could be like it could be that. a
0: myspace top eight it yeah. could be like a first second third. Space, <laughs> top <eight. God>
2: <laughs> but it's like you're an amalgamation of relationships right but uh definitely you know when i my father because I've seen, you know, right now my dad's in the, the process of retiring. And he's had some of the same employees for 30 years. Mm. And some of the same, like, you know, he was able to start doing wholesale with shoes and he had a warehouse. And some of the people he've, he hired with in the warehouse, 30 years later, still working with him. And to me, that's incredible that you can lead a group of people and stay so true and and loyal to them for 30 years and take care of them like that and give them a, a living for 30 years. I respect that. So I look at my dad and I see his, how he treats, and this is a Korean thing is like, sometimes Korean dads treat people outside better than their own families. Yeah. <laughs> but for sure. yeah. But I see I see him leading by example in that way and now he's retiring and trying to fold that stuff but he still worries about them. Still worries if they're gonna be okay and. And figuring out that stuff, I'm like, wow, you're till the end. You're not just looking out for yourself, right? Because it it has hurt him in the past where he's looking out more for them mm. than his own self interest. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, damn, you know, stayed so honest and true. And he's not a cheater, and he's not like, he's not like a, a bad person. He's kind, you know. And he ha- he thinks about things. It's not like, you know, he's a bit like off the handle sometimes. But he's one of those guys that gets like, well, say something, rest, and then. Afterward, he'll try to make up for it in, like, not an apology way, but, like... It's like
0: Mr. Kim and Gook. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
2: but, like, you know, he's really, you know, been influential. My mother, obviously, because she's raised me and my sister and, like, gave up her entire life. Um, My sister, my sister's a public defender. And she does the work. (laughs) That's the hard Mm -hmm. work, you know, defending people who nobody else would or don't have the money. Um, You know, my wife dealing with me, you know, (laughs) like, and... And also, you know, dude, it's true, man. All those stupid cliche things like, you know, behind every great man or whatever is a great woman. The amount of compassion she showed me and also like living with my faults and also um, forgiving my mistakes. That's, that, she's spoken through action. And I always feel like, okay, then I have to be good. I have to be better. I have to be a better person to warrant her love, right? But that's, but you know, with a lot of relationship, it's tick for tat and it's like fuck you or fuck you too. This is like, no, one, sometimes one person has to be bigger and she's been that person a lot. So like it's made me grow as a human, like tremendously. Then there's like so many people in, in the, the industry that have just looked out for me, you know. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're there every day just when it's important, right. you know. Like for example, someone like C.S. Lee, um, The guy OG. that was. on The Dexter. <laughs> on Dexter. Yeah. yeah. He's really just anytime, like, I just annoy the shit out of him. Like, uh. just like, sometimes he'll show up, I'll be like, hey, CS, I need some help with this thing. Can you just meet me? And he'll, like, show up on a Sunday morning. You know, it's like Sunday. Right. And he drinks and he shows up all hungover. He's like, hey, man, I need to get some, uh, like, a hot dog or something. You know,
0: This is deja vu. But, this was just us this morning. But just right. <laughs> but,
2: yeah. But, like. You know, but he is never, like, short with me. He's never, like, impatient with me, you know? Like, he's always answered my questions, and that kind of stuff is is priceless. And I have to say a lot of Asian people are a little bit stingy with their shit, you know, with their information, because they think everything's finite. Um, and so when people sort of are giving like that, it means a lot to me. That's why even with dumb or, like, it, when everyone, anyone, like, gives with a true heart, it, it affects me a lot. So CS and, but there's, it's countless, man. Like so many people have done so many kind gestures for me, like, you know, and also put up just with my immaturity, you know, because that's the other thing is I grew up in this shit. Like I was, when I started when I was 20, 21, I was an idiot. Like I, they watched me go through all my phases and be an idiot and do all the, and make mis- huge mistakes, you know, and there's some people who still have grudges against me for something I did when I was like 25, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that's okay. Like it, it was all learning process. But there was a lot of people on the way that really, really just was patient with me. Right, right, patient.
1: Right. All right. So the next question would be, um, what's like the best advice you've ever
2: received? This guy named Jose Zuniga. Okay, that name. That, yeah. that name itself sounds like yeah. a wide sage. Wise yeah. sage, man. He's a, he's a wise sage, and he's from yeah, Crooklyn. He's from New York. Uh, he was in Spike's film, Crooklyn. and. He's a good guy. I haven't talked to him in forever, but I'll never forget. Like, you know, he told me, like, I was, you know, coming up, I was ambitious, and I was constantly persistent. I'm always constantly asking wiser people. That's, like, one of the things that I think is, like, talk to people who do it. Talk to people who have done it. Like, they have a lot of good advice, and a lot of people are happy to talk about it. It's just you have to ask, right? And with Jose, I remember I was just being so... Annoying with him, I just hit him up all the time. We did. He was in Twilight, right? And I would go on these long walks with him and hear about his weird, like, mother, and (laughs) and we would go have dinner and stuff. And I'm hanging with this. He's he's not old, but he's older than me, older dude. And people always thought I was weird. Like they're like, why you spend time with him? I'm like, because I have something to learn, right? But he told me one time, I was like, yeah, you know, Korea, blah blah blah. I was all stressed out, and he's just like, hey, dude, it's all good. No one's gonna remember this shit in like a few years. Like, and he told me about this thing about how he was, he was in the film, um, I think it was A Fugitive, or, no, Ransom, Ransom, with Mel Gibson. Yeah. And then he saw the movie, it was completely cut out. He was a major part in the script, major part in, cut out. And he was like, he said it hurt him so bad, but when he looks at his bigger life, it doesn't matter. Because there's, there's life, and then there's work, right? So even with, even with, I work hard as hell. And I am very have convictions and I'm passionate about what I do. But at the end of the day, I must always acknowledge it's still just work. even even no matter how much I love it, it's still work. My family must come first. Mm-hmm. Their time. So you know every morning I was telling uh, Julius the other day, I do my daily affirmations. I wake up and I, I write down like what I'm grateful for, what I'm thankful for, also what my goals are and what my purpose is. I write it every morning. And then I look at it before I go to sleep so I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I don't, it's just so I stay on track, right? And I don't lose motivation. But, you know, one of the things I write every morning is you must always uh, be there for your daughter. You must always, she will, she, you must make sure that she is heard, make sure she is understood. You must be a dependable husband. Those things are like much more important because when I die, <laughs> uh, People might talk about the work I've done, but who gives a fuck? My family is going to be the one that that really cares if I die. So prioritizing sometimes is, you know, advice that I think is very important mm. because you must keep everything in perspective. Yeah. Must. Because if you don't keep that in perspective, you won't keep your work in perspective either.
0: Mm. Yeah. yeah. You have to zoom out.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's dope.
1: That's dope. All right. So I guess... That was kind of the last question, but I'm gonna just ask anyway, what is your personal
2: mantra? right now mantra is is basically this: do it now, 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 do it now that's my mantra it's do it now. If I have to an email to send, do it now. If I have someone to call, do it now don't wait till tomorrow, don't wait till next week. If I have a project, do it now like don't wait for permission don't wait. For, you know the money don't wait for anything I'm just constantly like do it now because that mentality allows me to have more time for everything right you know and and here's the thing is if I attempt it like some will fall through the cracks but like at least I'm I'm active I'm constantly going right. you know I'm, I'm moving um uh, that's my mantra these days that's good that's, yeah. amazing. that's good no, that's what's up. That's
0: like drop the mic.
2: Nah, no we doubt. We
0: are gonna come out with a mixtape called Do It Now.
1: <laughs> yeah, Do, do it, it, now. it Now.
0: Can you take care of nah, that, Nah, pinky? nah, nah,
1: nah, Like, but anyways, <laughs> yo, that's real. Do It Now is the mantra from Justin Chun. Once again, another episode of Six Ninety Nine per pound. Justin is coughing, but he's not dying. He's, not he's dying. alive Thank as you. well. Yeah. Um, shout out to him for trekking out here to uh, take part in this podcast. Joanne, how'd you feel about this?
0: I feel so inspired. I shed some tears today. I feel you so shed grateful too many tears, that. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't share it every time. I'm so happy you got to tell your story with us. And I'm so excited to pay it forward. And I'm mm. so excited for our listeners to mm. feel as energized that we feel after yeah, this podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah, so for thank sure. you
0: so much.
1: One thousand percent. So uh, please check out more episodes of 6.99 per pound podcast. All right. Cool. <laughs> Peace, y'all. Hey, yo, it's 699 for Podcast.